What's up, folks? Thank you for tuning in to the Progression Project podcast. I am your host, Eric Antonson. And today's guest on the show is Chris Rasman. Chris Rasman is a professional snowboarder from Whistler, British Columbia. And this show is special because it is the first in a series that I'm going to do on flow states. Um, and this is something that I've wanted to do now for a few years. And I've always been a little bit intimidated to take it on because it's such a big uh, just topic. Um, and I, and I don't fully understand yet how to have these conversations. And hopefully that's something that you, uh, as audience members and the guests will help me bring out so that these conversations, uh, can become more clear and better formed in the future. But I think that Chris and I did a pretty darn good job for a first take at a conversation on flow. Um, flow is, if you're not familiar with the term, is it's being in the zone. Uh, in Wikipedia, they define it as being in the zone. It's the mental state of operation in which a person performing an activity is fully immersed in a feeling of energized focus, full involvement and enjoyment in the process of the activity. In essence, flow is characterized by complete absorption in what one does and results uh, in the loss of one's sense of space and time. Um, this is something that I have been, uh, it's been a guiding principle in my life probably since I was 13. You know, I'm not a neuroscientist. I haven't studied this as a researcher for years, but, but really since I was 13, pretty much every major life decision has been made around access to more of these deep states. Um, and it wasn't until a few years ago when I realized that. And when I had that aha moment that I had this un unknown guiding principle of my life uh, that decided where I lived and who I spent time with and what I did for work. Uh, I wanted to understand it more. And so since then, I've been thinking about it, and now I'm ready to dive in. So thanks for coming along for the ride, and I hope you, that you enjoy it. Uh, as I said before, this, this was, it was hard to structure this conversation because of the lack of clear vocabulary around um, what we're talking about. And, you know, I did my best in, in, in trying to structure this. I know that it's going to get better over time. And I really ask for your help to share your experiences with me, share what this feels like with, you know, how, how you interpret these experiences. And hopefully, you know, over the next three, five, 10 episodes, uh, we'll be able to really create an interesting platform to have these conversations and I'll do my best to get guests in from a broad range of, of sports and uh, art, the arts, you know, uh, musicians, uh, actors, I'm sure experience this when they're in the moment um, and to understand it from, from all these different areas. And then hopefully there's some parallels that we'll be able to draw in the future and uh, we'll have a better understanding of, of what this is from a uh, from from the people that are experiencing it, not from the armchair quarterback, which when I read some of the books on this, they don't they don't really jive. And Chris said the same thing um, on the show. So the reason why Chris is such an amazing first guest, and I'm truly appreciative that he took this leap, um, is that Chris is a pro snowboarder, and the first thing that you should do before you listen to this is uh, look on YouTube. It's Chris Rasman, R-A-S-M-A-N. And I think the first thing that pops up is Chris Rasman full part. And it's about a six minute video, which will just show you how 
incredibly talented this guy is at snowboarding. Um, and now he's become fully foil-brained. You know, and he's off-season right now, and he is foiling nonstop. You know, that's how we started talking as he was hitting me up about foiling stuff. And then we started talking a little bit about flow. I mentioned this idea, and, and he really wanted to do it. And part of the reason that I think that Chris is such a, a great first guest is that he is fully immersed in foiling right now in the off-season, and he's getting those same experiences in foiling that he gets in snowboarding. And so I think that's the first step in this process is understanding, you know, it, there's a lot of the experience that we're chasing and not just the activity. And when you start to realize that, you know, I had to move back from Costa Rica and I was there, surfed every day, you know, three, four, five hours, a lot of days. And when I moved back to Florida and didn't have access to surf, um, it was a very, very, it was one of the harder things that I've done being someone who's, who's that close to that. And I started, you know, within a few months, I, I found um, kart racing and I started getting really into that and um, racing in a league. And when I was doing that, I wasn't missing surfing in the same way. And, and that was kind of the aha moment that, you know, it wasn't just the surfing, it was, it was the state. And that was about two years ago. And since then, I've had the idea of doing the show. And so now here we are. Um, but go and, and look at Chris Rasmond's uh, video there. He is uh, also one of the uh, leads in the Man Boys, which is a snowboard production company. Uh, so he's structured a business around his passion, which I think a lot of folks who are chasing these experiences do. And he is uh, very open with his experience on the show. And I learned an incredible amount from him. And um, again, just super grateful that he did it. So you guys, please send feedback. Tell me what you want to hear more of and know that this is pretty raw. It's a, it's a first take on having this type of conversation. So um, I hope that you enjoy it. Chris, thank you for coming on the show, man. I appreciate it. Eric, thank you for having me. I'm stoked to break the ice in this uh, flow game. Yeah, <laughs> this is going to be. I hope. I hope I uh, we can navigate this correctly. I do it justice. Um, to start it off, I was watching clips of you on YouTube today, just doing insane things. I picked up a little bit of snowboarding in the last year because we were up north, and I'm a huge addict of it. I love it. Uh, but what you're doing is just otherworldly. <laughs> thanks man yeah it's it's funny i feel like I, i've been doing it for so long now that it's like and and this probably can relate to our flow conversation in general but when people tell me that it's i have to like sit back and think about it for a second they're like how do you go that big or how do you jump off stuff that big and it's like just kind of part of what i do now so i almost don't even think about it it's just <laughs> a winter without that routine like wouldn't be a winter for me Ah, oh, it's nuts. Um, all right, to, to start us off, why don't you start from when you were a little Grom, or whatever it's called in the snowboarding world, uh, and just talk us through <laughs> your passions, um, what, what, you've, what you've kind of fully embraced and, and dived fully into uh, in your life. And then that'll give us the basis for the conversation that we'll have about the mental states that these passions bring. Yeah, well, okay, so I grew up in Vancouver, British Columbia, um, and now I now I live in Whistler, British Columbia, which is just two hours up the highway uh, into the mountains. Um, so my dad kind of was 
one of the first uh, part of the first generation of snowboarders that helped legalize the sport on a lot of different resorts around here and in Washington. So he was like, I feel like he always had this type of mindset that we're talking about in this conversation from his youth, like all the way into his adulthood. So he was kind of the driving force behind like a lot of the things I got into. Um, and it started with uh, skateboarding and surfing, actually. So obviously I picked up a skateboard as soon as I could walk because he provided that for me and was like, here, you should do this. It's fun. And, you know, would skateboard around in the backyard, a little rail set up, all that kind of stuff that we do when we're groms. And then um, before snowboarding, uh, surfing came for me, actually, because my grandparents have a house on the south side of uh, Kauai island uh, in the uh, hawaiian chain you know that island right oh yeah oh yeah that's where uh brian finch is from boil the world yep <laughs> yeah <laughs> so anyways so i i grew up uh going there a lot in the summer i'd spend like two or three weeks during summer vacation there so he was like throwing me into waves and i was a little kid uh you know putting me on a boogie board and then eventually that led to surfing and um obviously naturally being living close to the mountains and not living close to the ocean, I, I wanted to snowboard as soon as I could. Uh, he had me on skis, I think from like age six to age 10. And you know, you're a little kid, you don't even really know what's going on or know what you like. So I don't really remember the point of me being like, I have to snowboard now, but on like my 10th or 11th birthday, he gave me a snowboard and then it just kind of like within a few years, probably into my mid teens just became an obsession and it was like all I would think about in school all I like you know it kind of evolved from there drawn in the notebooks yeah fully like I, <laughs> I remember distinctly like I changed schools from elementary to high school so from the seventh to the eighth grade and I think that was kind of when the transition happened for me where it became where those sports and those lifestyles became an obsession because you know I'd surfed a little bit but you're you're a little kid so it, it's different I feel like because you still like do kid stuff you know you're still into video games if they're around you're still into just like random kid things but um I didn't really have a lot of friends that were into snowboarding when I was in elementary school and then when I changed this different school like immediately like within the first week of eighth grade I met a couple people that were also into snowboarding and we would sit in computer class and go straight to transworldsnowboarding.com and like look at all the you know new stuff going on and that's when I really started follow, following the industry and kind of becoming obsessed with it and realizing that there was all these different tricks going on that I could do and all these different movies that you could watch. And I don't know, I would say from the eighth grade and on is when it really like took over my life. Did you go to a full uh, high school or did you do some homeschooling along the way? So no, I didn't. I wasn't fortunate enough to be homeschooled, but I, I was fortunate enough to have the local resorts really close to me. So my dad would take me up for night riding after snowboarding and every couple of weekends during the winter, we'd make a day trip or sometimes even a weekend trip to Whistler and I'd get to ride the bigger, more exciting mountains where, you know, all the scene was happening. So I did get a lot of time on my board. Um, I definitely wasn't, wasn't deprived of that in high school. Did you go the competition route then too? No, not far from it. Actually. I, um, I entered a couple of, uh, local park contests when I was, like 15, like 14, 15, somewhere around there. And I actually like, maybe it was because I didn't have many friends following in my footstep or following my path with the intensity of how much I was obsessed with it. Like by the ninth or 10th grade, the crew that I had that snowboarded with me, they kind of were like not as into it. They were like more into girls and more into parties and other stuff. And I was just still like 
I mean, I was into that stuff too, but I still was like all about snowboarding and I wanted to really take it somewhere. So I started like entering these contests alone and I would like, you know, get dropped off at them by my dad or my mom. And I pretty quickly realized that I was like not as good as all these kids. Like there, I just had no tricks in the bag. Like all of my foundation was like strictly free riding and I was a good snowboarder. I could like rip through trees, ride, you know, powder at nighttime in the trees and bumpy runs, like all that stuff. I had all the fundamentals down, probably a stronger border than a lot of other people at that age, but I had like no tricks because none of the local resorts had any parks or freestyle at the time. So that kind of shied me away from contests at a young age. And I kind of didn't find the path that led that I'm in now until like a little bit after high school when I moved to Whistler and realized that there was this whole world of snowboarders that made a career out of um, like film and print. Like, they, you know, they filmed for snowboard movies and they shot photos of professional photographers that went magazines. And, you know, they weren't just in a boring man-made park. They were building their own features in the backcountry and riding natural terrain. And I was like, hey, that's what I want to do. Like, how can I do that? And um, so moved to Whistler, uh, linked up with some new friends up here who were like East Coast guys who did have uh, a good park and freestyle background. And I kind of like pretty much from after high school for the first two years, all I was doing was like working on my tricks in the park, like learning everything. And then, um, yeah, it kind of just snowballed from there. And I started, started working with some production crews and started filming video parts and kind of collecting sponsors. I mean, at the, how long do we want to go with the story? <laughs> it could, go for, <laughs> could go for a while. It's a, it's a big story, but, uh, yeah, I, I just, I didn't start like with contests at all, which most people, even the ones that do what I do, most of them do that. They start from contests and then they transition to being like a video part film guy. Right. That seems to be in the surf world too. You have to be, I think, better almost to create the following in the free ride world. Um, totally. And, and I think like, yeah, you do like, you have to be, you have to be better or have like more flavor or style to whatever right. it is you do or have something going for you that makes you stand out. Yep. Um, especially if you don't, and I'm not trying to toot my own horn here, but especially if you don't come from like a contest background first where people know your name. Mm -hmm. Um, I think maybe the timing was just right, but it, by no means was it like a blow up for me. It was a very slow climb to, to be to where I am today. Um, all right. So, and that's, that's insane. Um, why don't we start now with, this podcast is about these flow states. How would you describe that mental state, that physical mental state of the most intense moments that you're, that you're experiencing on the mountain? I mean, I think that's probably it's, a very personal thing. Yeah. I mean, it's like immense focus, um, with zero distraction distractions, even if you wanted them to be there they're not. Um, and it's being able to just be f like so present in what you're doing and like so aware. And I mean, it sounds cheesy to say that time slows, but like, I feel like when I do get there and I feel those moments, time really does slow kind of. And you know, you, you can think you're in the air for five seconds spinning or five seconds dropping a cliff. And then you watch the video clip and it was a half second or, you know, one second. So I don't know, I I'd say to sum it up in one word, it's present present like, yeah flow state is just being present with only what you're doing and like there's nothing else except that in that moment do you meditate also i don't 
really. Um, I try to just kind of, I guess you could say I meditate a bit when I stretch. Um, I try and stretch a lot and I try and just like, like, you know, put on the essential oils diffuser and put on some mellow music and like do a bit of yoga, do a bit of stretching. I guess you could say that's my meditating, but I'm a pretty like, like talkative, like high energy person. So I think meditation is something I would definitely benefit from, but it's not really something I've dipped into a ton yet. Gotcha. I want to get into like the uh, sensory deprivation tanks because I I hear that with athletes is like a real, real beneficial thing to help them calm down, to help them meditate and to help them like kind of dissect like uh, learning curves and tricks. Um, That's an interesting statement. You know, one thing that I've been doing a lot lately is after kind of breakthrough sessions that I have in this foil progression that I'm, you know, incredibly... Uh, obsessed with right now I'll come back and I'll just lay down and I'll just just like um, resurf the waves uh, in my head yeah and it's really cool because when you're in those deeper states or when I'm in those deeper states I have a very unique recollection I normally have a pretty shitty memory about things but I can remember conversations that people are having on the beach while I'm foiling which is just wild that's really interesting to have you say that because now with you saying that it kind of reminded me like I definitely like when I go through my winter and you know you go on all these different trips and you're trying to stack footage for the project you're working on and you're doing all these days with your friends in the backcountry like I don't have the greatest memory with mundane things and I'm always getting in trouble with my girlfriend for (laughs) for telling me stuff she's planned or scheduling or whatever. And I'm just like, she can tell me one thing and I'm just like, Oh, what we're doing that today. And she's like, yeah, I told you four times. But when it comes to snowboarding, I I think it just consumes so much of my bandwidth that I remember so much. Like I can remember standing at the top of a jump, me and my friends built six years ago like I remember what the trick I did that day felt like. I remember what like the hug felt like after I landed it, you know, like, Oh my God, man, like you like stoked for you. Like all that, like it's kind of crazy like that your brain holds on to those things. It's, in, it's insane. You know, so I interviewed Kyle Lenny a long time ago and mm-hmm. it was shortly cool. after his crazy airdrop at Jaws. And I asked him to break down. It was the first of the two, and I guess the first was a little smaller than the second. And it was the second happened right after the interview. Uh, and I asked him to break down that moment. And he said he he he, he looked looking back at it, he could remember everything. But he says that as he's in the in the moment, like actually free falling down the face of a fifty foot wave at Jaws, he was running scenarios of all the different ways that his rails could hit. And what could happen with the board, basically micro adjusting on the way down as he's, you know, un- unloading this just crazy uh, mental game in, in this yeah. insane moment. Do you have, why don't you talk us through like that moment six years ago, you're standing at the top of the jump. What is the mental preparation for that? And then how does that experience of dropping into flow into kind of what I call like the vanishing or whatever Mm-hmm. How does how does that experience unfold for you as you approach a trick or whatever well, it is? It's um it's interesting because I think uh, especially because I've been snowboarding for so long now there there are definitely plenty of moments like you're not always in flow right there are definitely like plenty of moments and plenty of tricks that happen where they can, you kind of just do them you're just like oh and they just happen and you don't really remember them they weren't that significant or maybe 
it was easier not i don't want to use the word scary but like maybe it wasn't scary enough to like mm-hmm. get you going and then you have instances like the example i just gave from six years ago so this is actually like a clip you can find on the internet i think it was like i think if you type in chris rasman 2014 uh full part full video part i watched um, that today it's oh nice so yeah. so, so there's like job? a so there's like an overcast. I'm pretty sure it ends. It's the last trick in my part. If I can remember correctly, I'm wearing okay. like a camo pants and like a khaki jacket and it's kind of overcast and the jumps like a flat takeoff uh, with a big drop. We call them step downs. Mm-hmm. And I did a cab nine, which is like a switch front side 900. And that was my I had never hit that specific cliff before. And like I didn't even like straight air at first. Like that was my one and only hit on that jump up until that point. And so the other guys hit it first and they were kind of like, you know, it's a scary jump. It's one of those steep landing ones where if you, you know, you get the landing gear down in the right spot, you know, your board's pointing perfectly straight. The weight is in the right place. Like you'll stomp it relatively easy. But if you make a little mistake, you'll roll for like, you know, 200 feet, like pretty aggressively. (laughs) So that was one of those ones where I was like, yeah, that was one of those, like one of those standing out moments where I was like scared and I was like, okay, like I have to do this. I know how to do what I'm doing. Like, I don't know how long I'm going to be in the air for because I haven't hit this jump before. I haven't even straight aired it, but there's not much powder down there and I don't want to waste landing tracks because, you know, how, how it works is you take turns going and if you go and you're trying a trick and then the other guys go all of a sudden, there's that many more holes in the landing. So mm-hmm. you are robbed of like a higher opportunity to land it, I guess. Anyways, so I remember just kind of tripping on all those things like a million things are going through your head and then you have the input that you're getting from your friends and you're trying to process that um combined with what you know and you know where do i drop in from i'm heavier than you guys am i gonna go like all these things and uh kind of like you explained with that kyle Lenny scenario once i started spinning it was like okay there's 360 there's 540 like okay i'm at five like slow down a bit. Oh my gosh, I'm at seven. Like you still have a bunch of time to drop, like open up, slow down. And then all of a sudden you're landing. And then in that quick moment, it's like, it's bumpy. Hold on. Go, 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 go. (laughs) Um, but yeah, it's wild. Like it's, I don't know. I don't really know how to explain how you get into that state, but it just kind of happens. I think when you're maybe when there's more on the line, when you're more intimidated and when you know that like you really have to let like your instincts and your ability take over i think (laughs) it's kind of what it feels like um and that's the fun thing about talking about this is all these feelings are so abstract that they are they're they're and i think the conversation sorry to interrupt you but i think even having conversations about them is like relatively new i i think flow state's only been even mentioned by people in the last like decade you know yeah and you know thing and i have read you know um rise of superman's a great book and yeah, that's, I like that's, that. You know, and then I've, I, you know, some of uh, like the flow, Mihaly's uh, book. Um, but I, there's a part of me that when I'm reading these, I don't feel like they've really experienced some of these things. Yeah. Do you feel I that know, too? Totally. Yeah. I, it's, yeah, that Rise of the Superman one was good too, but it definitely didn't um, grab me the way I expected it to. It's, I, I almost would have appreciated it more if, Danny Way wrote it and he was collaborating with the scientist that actually wrote it. And I don't, I don't mean to talk shit on the author, but I, I totally get what you're saying. It, yeah. it made it feel like a bit of a cop out, especially being someone who experiences that so often and doesn't really understand what it is. I was really curious about the science of it. 
Um, yeah, so I wonder about exploring the neuroscience of it and if maybe that in some way takes something away from it. You know, I, I, I uh, my, my wife uh, last couple of years went through, uh, she had a brain tumor and it was this crazy ordeal. And through that process, I realized that it's like, I don't feel like we really have a real understanding of neuroscience. Mm-hmm. And, you know, something like what we're experiencing here, I think it's better to get it from the, the actual, you know, folks who are going through it than from someone who's talking to some people and looking at some brain scans. I think it's going to be, I don't know. That, that, that's no, that part of the sense. reason I want to are explore it. Kind of what you're saying is like, it's our understanding of the brain in general and, and how it works is so primitive at this yeah. point that first, for someone that's trying to explain something to you that we really don't have a comprehension of, like you can't right. speak in absolutes about it. So it's like, yeah, I think that's a really good point. I, right. I think it's kind of like, do we want it to be fully understood or is the mystery of it kind of what makes it so interesting and cool right now? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, maybe if you could understand it, then you could just tap into it, it more <laughs> faster and, and yeah. deeper. Totally uh, p- pick when you want to go into it. Right. All of a sudden you're like, oh, I'm, I'm late for work. I got a meeting and I'm going to tap into flow state and just drive like a psychopath and get there safely. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's really hard for me. I was trying to structure this interview and, and write out questions. And it's, it's super difficult just to write out questions because I don't really have succinct questions for the, the things that I want to talk about. And so I'm just going to say some things that I've had thoughts on and then let's talk about them and see where it goes. And maybe for future interviews, I'll have succinct questions. But, yeah. but right now I really don't. So one well, of the thoughts, I, I think that's awesome. I think let's just, we're, we're setting the tone here for this whole series that you're doing. Let's do it. All right. So, <laughs> so here's, here's a thought that I had, um, in a sport like snowboarding or surfing or skateboarding, I feel like the folks who are finding the deepest states are probably also getting better the fastest. And so maybe you can look at mastery as a symptom of flow instead of um, a symptom of practice in a way. Does that resonate at all? Yeah. So how would you draw a parallel with, um, so could that be compared to anything? Could that be compared to playing a musical instrument in your example as well? Possibly. I mean, I know that when I played music, um, there's some deep states there, you know, playing live music mm-hmm. in front of a band, pretty insane. Yeah. Uh, or in front of a crowd. Within a yeah, band. I bet. Um, but, you know, the kid who's out there having the most fun is probably spending the most time doing it. Yeah. So, so okay, then just to try and understand what you're saying. So the kid who's having the most fun and is probably also the ones out there spending the most time doing it, then wouldn't that, that's why people would classify it as practice. It's because they say like, oh, you're doing it, you know, say do anything a thousand times, you've mastered it. So um, help me understand what you mean by that is a symptom, could be maybe a symptom of flow state instead of a symptom of uh, lots of practice. So I'm saying that people might be looking at it like practice, but the person doing it is doing it and can do it a thousand times because of the state that they're in while they're doing it. So, mm, so I see. So you're out there hucking jumps or whatever, you, you know, I don't know the nomenclature, but <laughs> um, all day long. But if it wasn't fun, you probably wouldn't be doing it if you weren't hitting these states. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. And why would you do it a thousand times if it wasn't fun? Right. It comes um, with a lot of risk, a lot of consequence. Yeah, totally. Um, I think that's a good point. And I think that when we were texting about 
uh, doing this or Instagram messaging about doing this, you said something and you're like, what did you say? You're like, I feel like, um, other people that don't experience these states as much are very quick to call it like, Oh, adrenaline junkie or, Oh, he likes scaring himself when I don't really think it is that I think, I think the, the feeling of that immense focus that I was talking about in itself is like addictive and satisfying. And it like, it's, it's really cool. It's, it's unique. So I think if you find something that is really fun to you and kind of gets you going and you might not even know that you're dipping in and out of flow state all the time while you're doing it, but all of a sudden 10 years go by and you've been doing that activity like every day you can for 10 years, (laughs) you know? So I think that's, uh, yeah, that is a good way of thinking about it. That It is mastery could be a symptom of flow in itself. Yeah. I mean, so right now it seems like you're fairly foil brained. Yeah. Would you say that? Oh, a hundred percent. I'm so foil brained. And it's like, (laughs) and it's, and I think like, because I, you know, I'm, and it's not to say that I'm not obsessed with snowboarding, but it, it takes a bit more now to get me into those states snowboarding. And so I find myself, I, I don't think I'm at risk of being like, Oh, I'm go- I'm getting crazier and crazier and crazier to the point where I'm going to do something so sketchy where I'm going to die snowboarding. Like it's not, I don't mean like that. I just mean like, it's making me want to do more things that I'm not good at. Like, right. So I started as a professional snowboarder. My, my discipline was, I guess you could say more backcountry freestyle. So we would go and we would build jumps with our own shovels to resemble jumps in the park. And we would do tricks off them. And I, I still love doing that, but now I'm challenging myself with reading natural terrain more and not touching the shovels, like just going to the top of the mountain and being like, how can I get down this intricate mountain safely managing my slough, managing avalanches, not hitting the trees and rocks, but like incorporating freestyle into that. So I'd say I'm just challenging myself more to try and find those states of flow and those states of focus that I'm so addicted to. And foiling is like, is now doing that for me in the off season. And obviously everyone's that's has tried foiling is addicted to it because it's amazing. But I think, uh, you know, for me also, it's just like, I haven't had something like this in a while that's not snowboarding do this for me. Yeah. Well, and that's that's kind of the argument against the adrenaline junkie term because what you're doing on a mountain right now, when I watch you, I think you're insane, bro. It's <laughs> it's nuts. Um, and foiling on a on a lake pumping around is a is one of the most benign things you can probably do. And so the fact that you're hitting similar mental states in those two exper- in those you know, two activities kind of uncorrelates the experience to adrenaline, I would say. That's a really good point. I didn't even think of it that way. Like to, to some, to a lot of my friends that watch me doing this, they're like, aren't you getting bored of doing that? And I always, my <laughs> quick answer, because like, I just, I'm tired of explaining it to people that don't get it. I'm just like, oh yeah, but I just do it for a workout now. But like, it's not just a workout because I hate working out. I like, I, I really enjoy going and pumping around the lake on my foil and completely flat water you're not riding anything and it's like everything's happening so fast like eat between each pump but i'm like you know how foiling is like you shift oh, yeah. your weight one way and you start going off balance and now i'm like thinking about where my back foot is and like oh like these pumps aren't working out well like slide your back foot back a little bit slide it to the right like you're making all these little changes and that's all like so exciting to me even though i'm in a pretty damn safe environment like not, nothing's really going to happen to me right you're not probably going to break your neck 
No, like the worst thing that you can happen, you fall <laughs> off the foil weird and it drills you in the ribs, but you know, you're not, I'm not tangled in waves. Like I'm just in a lake. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, so when I think about what gets us to these states, foiling hits on just almost everything to where you've got, you're in a dynamic environment because water's dynamic. Even if it's a lake, it's still dynamic. There's still currents and, and totally. wind chops and all that, or you're probably, you know, getting on a wake. And then you're playing within fine margins, which is this other thing that really, the smaller the margin, the deeper the concentration needs to be. And so you're manipulating a board with your feet in this margin of you know forward velocity and then an altitude that you have to maintain. And so that really narrows the window. I mean, for me to get into the states that I'm getting into foiling one to two to three foot waves, you know, we're talking about I mean, I lived in Costa Rica for 11 years, getting barreled at some of the best breaks and some of the best swells, you know, of the year. Yeah. You know, and, and I'm getting that in Jacksonville, Florida in two foot surf because I'm highlining some little shore break. See, that's incredible. That, that, that is like, that comparison is like what I kind of, what I feel in snowboarding, how I just explained how it's like, I have to basically hit bigger stuff and ride larger scale natural terrain. That's similar to you getting barreled on, you know, six foot Costa Rica to like one foot Florida on your foil and feeling the same sensation. Cause yeah. there's just so much focus going in. Well, one thing I heard you say on the foiling podcast, which I really liked, I don't remember who coined the term, but if surfing is a three dimensional thing, foiling is four dimensional. So you're working yeah. on all the same things and worrying about all the same things that you worry about surfing, but there's this fourth dimension and that's the elevation of the foil and like what that's doing and how it's performing when the wings at different places in the water. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's wild. It's yeah. like, there's so much to think about. And if I like try to break down what's happening when you're foiling, all of the things you're thinking about and how quick you're thinking, like how quick you're problem solving right. and put that into like an everyday task. Like I can barely make my coffee while my girlfriend's telling me stuff in the morning. I'm like, I have to stop <laughs> making my coffee and look at her so I can absorb what she's saying. And I hate to keep on throwing her under the bus and using her as an example, but like, I'm sure you can relate. It's perfect. Yeah. And it's like, so go through your normal life as someone who, and again, I don't love this term either, but someone who loves action sports, extreme sports, go through your normal life as someone who does those. And then all of these like kind of <laughs> boring mundane things, you have such a hard time focusing on and doing quickly yet somehow when you foil when you snowboard when you surf you can problem solve like 1000 things in a minute without even knowing you're doing it yep that's like that's superhuman shit right there that's crazy so, so that segues beautifully into a thought that i've been kicking around for a little while which is i feel like so when i look at flow and i try to like visualize what these states are i kind of see it like mm -hmm. a funnel and as we go deeper and deeper into this, the so say you've got a, a, a certain amount of information that's coming to you. And right. I think we have this filter in front of all of it to where I think, and this sounds kind of strange, but I think that we see very little of the world around us most of the time. We kind of have this filter that we learned when we were kids growing up and it, it kind of kind of processes everything for us and you know we're thinking about what we've got to do tomorrow and what we did yesterday and and if something really needs our attention we kind of like oh i'll deal with that right now and and then yeah but if you're, you're not really like term present you used before i don't i don't think we have a lot of that and then i think what happens I when believe we that 100 percent. just to pause you for a quick second hold that thought um, yeah but i 
am so on board with that idea. And I think as we get older, we become even less aware of the world around us because yep. we have built these, you know, our mind is just conditioned to be the way it is. And you actually see less than like a young child would see, but sorry, go on. Yeah. Okay. So uh, we're going to get really deep into this now because I think that you, what you just said there is it goes ties into my next thought. But as we get into these states, then especially as we get really deep into like a fight flight type of situation, the filter no longer helps us with the world around us. So it has to kind of start moving away and we have to start getting access to more information. And in those deepest states, it kind of completely vanishes and you're actually interacting with the raw data coming in. And that's why you kind of don't feel, it's almost like an egoless state when you're you're fully getting shacked at like a really big wave or something like you pop out and it's like the time dilation and, and all of that. Um, and I think it just completely removes, maybe it's an evolutionary thing to where, you know, when you were running away from a cheetah, you just had to be running away from a cheetah. Um, and, you couldn't and, think about your family needing meat in the cave or you needing to do such and such. It's, that's, right. I, I really like that thought that you just said. That's a really interesting way to look at, um, and you know we're just we're just two guys talking. We're not scientists, but no, I, not at I all. <laughs> love that. Like, it, and it, it makes sense if you think about it because it's almost like it removes all these preconceived notions, all these things that you've grown to think are your understanding of the world and your understanding of how people work, how the world works, and you know the world as we know it. All these things that you cruise through life at without even knowing you have, maybe they get removed in those flow moments and you're just instinctually taking in the input like like a raw like raw brain like i don't know maybe i just i like that i think that's a cool way to look at it yeah uh, i yeah i have no idea if that's in any way shape or form accurate but it but it feels accurate sounds cool yeah it sounds good <laughs> <laughs> um you know and if you go a little bit deeper into that you could wonder whether or not that has something to do with how we experience time too where you know it always feels like time moves slower when you're a kid and then speeds up, but maybe it's just because you're not actually interacting with things quite as much. And that's why time slows down when you're, when you're, you know, in these states. I totally, I, I like that too. I think I'm, I tried to, I was like pretty into, um, and now I'm going to say this very lightly because I didn't go to school after high school. When I say I was into quantum physics, I mean, I like listening to podcasts about it and I downloaded an audio book once called uh, The Greatest Story Ever Told So Far by Lawrence Krauss. And it's all about quantum physics and the theory of relativity and time bending and what is time. And anyways, it's <laughs> one of those books that I found myself light rewinding. Reading. Yeah, yeah, super <laughs> light reading. I was trying to like listen to it while multitasking. And this is just a book where you have to just like sit there and listen to it. But anyways, going a bit off track with that. But I, I think time itself is is really just something like we are perceiving and we've like learned to measure the way our human brains can understand it. It isn't, I feel like it's just not, it's all it is, is what we perceive of it. It's not happening. I can't find the words to right. say that makes saying, sense. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's um like a minute. What is a minute? Like what is 60 seconds? Like, is that, that's because we know that that 60 seconds is not the same 60 seconds when you're, you know, a hundred thousand miles into the atmosphere. Like we know that's totally different. And I, yeah, the, the, I find it really interesting how when you look back at memories from when you're a kid and you have so many times and you're like, Oh, that year just feels like forever. And like high school felt like it went on forever. And now, 
you know, all of a sudden I've been a like, grown ass man living in Whistler for 12 years after high school. Like, where did that time go? <laughs> <laughs> um, so was there a time when you realized that what you were searching for was an experience and it wasn't the activity? This happened to me, you know, not that long ago. Um, yeah, I think, I think it, I don't think it was like a, uh, distinct like eureka moment. I think it was a slow realization over the last like three or four years of when my snowboard success is like kind of really spiked. And I've, I've done a lot of interviews and I know people ask me a lot of things. And I think it started, I had one guy do an interview with me for this magazine and he asked me, he's, he kind of started listing a bunch of my snowboard accomplishments and he's like, you've done everything. Like, like what now? Like, what are you going to do now? And I remember like initially in my head, I was like, Oh fuck you. I haven't done everything. Like there's all these like sick things I want to do still like, no, I'm going to be like the best. I'm going to, you know, just basically like egotistical things of what I thought I needed to do and what I thought I was like chasing to achieve in snowboarding. That's I think when I first started to slowly realize that it wasn't about these so-called goals I had set myself set for myself in the industry, snowboard industry, because that's never what it was about. All it was about for me is I want to keep on snowboarding forever. And it's incredibly convenient and I'm incredibly lucky that I can do it professionally. So I think that it was just kind of a slow realization over the last few years that it's more about the experience and it doesn't really matter that I'm doing this year after year. It's, I don't know, it's not about a specific goal. It's just that I want to keep doing it. Yeah. And, and then, so, okay. So snowboarding's interesting, unique, um, mm-hmm. as a winter sport to where you have an off season. You, you yeah. Know, March, April, maybe May. I, I don't know how late your season goes up there, but how, how do you prepare for that? How does it affect you? Uh, it's super difficult for me. I, I get almost nervous when I know I'm going to leave the ocean or a mountain and I'm going to be somewhere where I don't have access to what I love. Does that really? Yeah. Yeah. It, it goes in a few phases with us and me and all my, uh, close friends who are all other professional snowboarders as well. We talk about this all the time. It's like the, the, when the winter first ends and when it's the mountains are finally telling you that like, it's done, don't go out there anymore. Like the snow is all cooked by the sun. Like there's no cold powder anywhere left. Like you've done all your sponsor obligations. Like when, when it's like fully wrapped up in, you know, mid early to mid May, um, at first it's like super uh, relieving. You're like, Oh my gosh, like long season. And I find at first you just absorb and enjoy like two or three weeks of like not doing that much and not feeling like, Oh, we got to go up there and like get it done. (laughs) But then like, it doesn't last long really quickly. You go through kind of like the the spring depression kind of, I don't know. It's weird. Like you're, even though you go through it every year, there's like these few weeks where like every, I think pro winter athlete gets a little bit like bombed and like, you kind of start like without vocalizing it, like almost wondering what your purpose is. Like, Oh, what am I supposed to be doing today? Like, what do I have stuff to do? And I don't know, that kind of is like on and off throughout the summer, but I, I have found a good way to battle that. And that is like, you know, just doing other things like surfing, foiling now for me, um, basically just doing whatever I can to kind of like, keep myself happy and keep the activities going. But it's definitely a thing. Like I would say it bridges on uh, like, like close to depression at points, you know, 
Yeah. Like there's just like something missing. You're like, what is this I'm feeling? And like, you like get grumpy easier. You get set off easier. Like all that stuff is like there. And that, I'm only realizing that like recently, like definitely in the last two or three years. Yeah. You know, when we had to move back from Costa Rica, we ended up being in Florida and before I started foiling, which I just started here in the last year, mm-hmm. I mean, being a Florida surfer is tough. I don't know why anyone would do Dude, it. I, I can imagine. Yeah. Slater did it. Pretty impressive. He started traveling young. <laughs> yeah, true. Good um, point. <laughs> yeah. And um, so I got into, you know, karting big time. I started driving at every opportunity, started racing in a league. And that's an insanely cool sport, but I craved it the same way. I'd find myself doing my work in the morning, and then I'd go to the to the track and, you know, drive for like an hour and then come back and, and do my work in the afternoon. And that that's really when it clicked for me that it wasn't surfing because I didn't crave surfing then. It, mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't, it wasn't, I wasn't chasing the activity as much as I was chasing that need the experience. to basically, yeah, to drop in. That's interesting. Yeah. And I, I think that goes back to why like foiling is so exciting for me is that whatever it is about foiling has like captured that. And it's not to say surfing cause surfing was that replacement for me for so long, but you know, I, I live in a mountain town and I, I had, I work for a few months in the off season as well. So it's like, I'm, I'm, I can't just leave all summer and go surf. I usually go for like a month back to Kauai in the fall, like usually November, but so chasing the surf, it wasn't doing it for me at that level. Cause you're going to Vancouver Island, the water's cold and nine times out of 10, the waves are garbage. It's like Florida surf. Right. Right. And then every once in a while you get really good swells, but like, that just doesn't happen that often. And I just, feel like you with foiling you get it that experience so much more often at least right now right um but yeah it's it isn't necessarily snowboarding it's it's just things that do that for me and like like even what so what i do for work in the off season is one of of my good friends started a wood restoration company so um there's a lot of like wood homes and and log cabins in whistler like there was a big log cabin boom in the 90s and so the, the exterior of these homes, cause we live in a, you know, a rainforest, it's super hot in the summer and super snowy and cold and wet in the winter. Uh, the exterior of these homes get destroyed and these people like them looking nice. So we'll go in there and like, you know, sand down the logs and just kind of restain them, clean everything up. But there's a lot of, uh, and this is kind of an interesting direction to dive into, but it's like, this is very real for me. And I realized it in the last like two years as well. We do a lot of like really high ladder work and like, high on ladders with like intricate setups, like ladder jacks, connecting planks, wrapping around a house, going into a <laughs> scaffolding. And, you know, we, we work, you know, we're not in a city, so we don't have to worry about like work safe stuff as much as you would if you were in a busy city. So we kind of just get it done and, you know, nobody wants to die. Nobody wants to fall off a ladder. So you just kind of like, I find myself doing some stuff sometimes where my, my boss, who is also one of my best friends will like look at me and be like, dude, like, just like put on a harness like you don't want to end your snowboard career over that log and i'm like i'm not going out of my way to be sketchy on ladders but i think like bombing around the ladders and problem solving of how i'm going to get to areas on these like massive houses kind of does a little something for me too in a weird way yeah (laughs) and it sounds so stupid because it's like oh what are you what are you doing you're gonna like fall off a ladder maybe one day and break your leg at work but like no i'm not going to i'm not being that sketchy but like there is something that i'm getting from being really high up on a ladder and like leaning over a log with a sander. And 
I don't know. It sounds psycho, but. It makes complete sense to me. <laughs> it makes complete sense to me. All right. So we've talked a lot about kind of our experiences with, yeah. with, with, you know, this, the, the, the activities that we're doing, um, these states, let's talk about how, you know, this, this series is going to be called a life of flow. And part of what I want to do with it is just talk to other folks who have built their lives around these, these experiences, uh, you know, mm-hmm. that's what I did. I moved to Costa Rica. I, I mean, I've followed it, you know, as, as, as closely as I possibly could given my athletic ability, which isn't pro surfer level, but, um, you know, it's, uh, it's still what I, what I, what I love to do. Um, how has snowboarding and your love of, of this, you know, these flow states guided your life? Has it at all? It's, completely guided my life it's it's um it's responsible for most of the decisions i make it's it's uh my health matters to me because of i i'm not i don't think i'm i mean now maybe now that i'm 30 i'm thinking about longevity for other things but like my health has like always been important to me since i was like 19 or 20 because i wanted to have optimal performance in these things like there are just so many different aspects of my life that were are were and are driven because of snowboarding. So, I, I mean, I don't think I if I wasn't a snowboarder, I don't even know like who I'd be at this point. I'd be a completely different surf, completely different person because it's totally like organized my life. Did you throw a surfer in there too? <laughs> I'd be a yeah, surfer. I, did. I, did. I, I, I don't wonder if that like happened self consciously. I was like, I'd be. Or subconsciously, I was like, I'd be a completely different surfer. Sorry, I mean person. <laughs> it's like maybe that's what I would be. I, if I wasn't a snowboarder, I'd probably be living in California or Hawaii or something. Costa Rica, <laughs> exactly. Costa that's Rica. classic. But yeah, it's like, dude, it's fully like it's everything. It's it's the driving force of like seventy five percent of the decisions I make. It's yeah. like where I'm going to live, like where I spend my money. Like it's so funny. Yeah. What about friendships? What about friendships built around, um, the sports? All my closest friends are pro athletes right now and not necessarily snowboarders. Um, yeah, not necessarily snowboarders. Like uh, my, I would say uh, my like five or six closest friends in Whistler, they're like, they're all, and this, I'm not, it's weird because it sounds like prudy to be like, Oh, my friends are only like professional athletes. Like we get paid to snowboard. It's not like I chose them that way, but it's like, a, I spend so much time with them and travel with them. So you just become close. But, um, B, I think you can just relate on so many levels, like all these unspoken levels. You can like find comparisons and similarities in your personalities and you just kind of click and get along, even though we're all such different people. And then one of my other closest friends is a pro surfer from Vancouver Island. And, he doesn't snowboard at all, but like, I think there's just, and it's not to say that you have to be pro successful and paid. It can be at the level that you're doing it too, but someone who wraps so much of their life around these activities, like I, I, I think those people will always be the ones I connect with best and can have the most real conversations and like real hangouts with. Cause people that don't like they they just don't get it for it sounds shitty but they just straight up don't get it yeah and let's talk about dealing with that i mean that's something i've had to to kind of go through my whole life like my parents and and you know some friends have thought i was insane for doing some of the things that i've done Mm -hmm. um 
you know, maybe being a pro snowboarder because you have some of the, you know, I don't know if I want to say status or social proof that goes along with that. Maybe it's more understandable, but you know, how, have, how have those relationships been in regards to support of pursuing your dreams? Well, I think what you said about, um, because we have like me and my friends have the status of being uh, pro athletes. And so, uh, people can find a way to legitimize what you're doing quicker because it's like, oh, of course, like you're getting paid to do that. But then the question always comes, whether it's with family or with like elders or whoever, like, oh, well, like what's next? Like, what about when you're not a snowboarder? Like, you're going to stop this eventually. And that's where it gets into weird territory because it's like, well, like, no, I'm not. <laughs> like, it's, it's this pro snowboarder thing is just a chapter of my life right now. I'm like, I'm never going to stop snowboarding. I'm never going to stop spending all my money on surf trips and, you know, buying snowmobiles. And like, this is all like part of who I am. Like the pro snowboarder thing is just, you know, something that I'm fortunate enough to be doing and getting paid to do right now. So as far as like, was the question, like, how do I navigate it with relationships? Yeah. I mean, just to explore that, it, it sounds like you, because you're a pro in what you're doing, every, it's, it's supported at this point yeah. in time. And, and the question is, what do you do when it ends? And, and your answer is, well, this doesn't end for me. <laughs> you know, exactly. maybe the pro part ends, but if you look at pro surfers, they retire so they can surf better waves. Right. Totally. Yeah. And like pro snowboarders retire. I mean, not all of them, some, some retire and get bitter, but like the snow, a lot of snowboarders retire and they just ride more powder. Right. Like they're just like, Oh, I'm just going to go on, you know, more heli trips and more catboarding trips. And so, yeah, it's like, but there's this weird like stigma around it. It's only it like sometimes I feel, and this kind of gets into like the emotional level of it. Like sometimes you feel almost like attacked by people when they ask that question. Like, oh, what are you going to do after? After you're like, well, what do you mean? Like, what do you mean after? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, fuck off, leave me alone. Like, there's no after. Like, it's going to keep going. And that might be like the that could be the insecurities of every pro athlete knowing that one day it will end. Or maybe it's on some deeper level, maybe feeling threatened that they're trying to tell you, when are you going to grow up and stop snowboarding, period. Um, so I don't know what it is, but like when I get the question, like, what am I, what am I going to do after? It's, it's, it's a weird one for me. There's a lot of like anxieties around that question because for me, that's like, I mean, I'm going to snowboard after. <laughs> <laughs> um, in snowboarding, does it seem because I feel like there's this trend in surfing a little bit that some surfers tend to push the risk a lot higher to try to stay maybe more relevant in the sport because they can't compete anymore on the technical side of the sport. And I'm completely making this up right now. So this may not be true, but I, I see it. Um, right. And then that in like bigger waves and yeah. more like more rocks, like the stuff that Mason Ho's doing and stuff like that. Right. I mean, may, maybe. Yeah. I mean, is that same, is that parallel in the snowboard world at all? I, uh, yeah, I think it definitely is. Um, and even for me, there was definitely a point where like, cause you know, I'm not, I'm not doing the amount of rotations and like the amount of spins and tricks that like the Olympian X game snowboarders are. I'm, I'm trying to do it on like bigger jumps and natural terrain. So there was definitely like a, a few years in my career where I was like trying to stand out by consciously going bigger, like hitting larger stuff and trying to basically be more sketchy, <laughs> but, uh, I've, I think I've grown out of that a bit and now it's more just about like challenging myself. It doesn't necessarily need to be dangerous and large. I just want it to be like challenging and exciting and, 
and look cool, you know, look cool on film, <laughs> but, um, which has so many, you know, there's so many pieces to the puzzle to make that work as well. But, yeah. uh, yeah, I, I think that's def- to answer your question. I think that's definitely a thing in snowboarding too. I think a lot of snowboarders, especially the ones like going into their thirties feel it's like, okay, if I want to stay relevant, like, what do I have to do? Like, do I have to do crazier shit? Like, is that, you know, part of it? Right. Like trips to new mountains and I, I, I watched, mm-hmm. a, a, you know, we got into snowboarding this last year and our, as a family, we watched a lot of the videos and, and we're not park folks. We just like to cruise and backcountry and, and whatnot. Yeah. And so a lot of the exploration videos and some of the stuff that folks are doing scaling, you know, climbing and then, and then first descent. And that just seems like the, the consequence is so poss- so high. Yeah, totally. And see, see, that's a good example. Cause that, that doesn't entice me as much. Like I'm not like, obviously it's cool to say, like I've done a couple of first descents. I did one this year in Smithers, BC, the shoot, but I'm not like trying to seek out. I was the first one that rode this line or I was the first one that hit a jump in this, you know, on this area. Like that doesn't excite me as much. I'm more like about challenging myself. So maybe I'll get there one day. Maybe that's where it'll go, where I want to where I'll want to do it. But yeah, I don't know. Like for me, that's, I don't really care about that stuff. <laughs> and it's not to say I don't have anything against the, the mountaineer type snowboarders that go and do that. I think it's really cool that there are people insane. doing that, but yeah, it's insane. But to me, I'm, I'm, I love traveling and I love snowboarding in new places, but I live in Whistler for a reason. It's the backcountry here is like the best in the world, in my opinion. And yeah. I'm totally happy if the conditions are good here, I'd be so content just snowboarding in my backyard mountains like all year and just exploring new zones that we have here because like you find new stuff every year the mountains are huge here they are huge i I was there on a trip when i was probably 16 with my dad and i was snowboarding it was awesome and i got lost in the backcountry my dad was freaking out for like two hours ended up hiking out i got stuck in deep powder it was terrifying (laughs) oh no the whole thing (laughs) i'm gonna die you hear stories of this tree wells everywhere oh no Oh man, a kid from Florida who snowboarded like six times, probably. Like I got this dad. <laughs> it's two yeah, hours totally. later. <laughs> I love watching um, people who grew up surfing snowboard because they usually pick it up pretty quick because you're strapped in. But it's pretty funny watching them like fully try and like surf the snowboard, like using their up- upper body so much, like rotating their shoulders so much. It's it's pretty epic. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm guilty of all of that. <laughs> um, so I've got one more topic that I think we should touch on on this and then let's let's dive into foiling for a little bit. I think that you still got some time? Yeah, totally. Okay. So, I was at um my daughter's volleyball game the other day. Mm-hmm. And we stuck around to watch the varsity. She plays JV, she's 12 and she she you know pretty natural at the sport, pretty cool to watch. But then we're watching the varsity team and there was there was this girl on the varsity team who was as dialed in and just she was where she was supposed to be playing volleyball. Right. Right. And it was a beautiful thing to watch. Now she's probably not a college athlete. I mean, maybe she goes on to college, maybe she doesn't. It's kind of irrelevant for the conversation, but it was just, you're watching someone doing what they're supposed to be doing. And it was a really cool experience. And I started thinking about how many people probably have those experiences as they're younger and then they move away from them. And, you know, maybe the season ends, maybe they don't make it in college and then they don't start playing something else. And then, you know, now they're living a life kind of away from the state that the states that you and I are trying to to hit as 
much as possible. You know, I just think that's a kind of a, let's just start with that point and just kind of expand on like, how many people do you think are experiencing kind of the level of, of, you know, experience state that you're, that you're experiencing on a, on a pretty regular basis. And how does that, yeah, I don't know. I don't even really have the words to explain this, but how, how do you relate to folks who don't ever have those experiences? Um, that was a terrible question. I, I apologize. I no, no, no. It's, it, I, it's, it was like, it was a bit of a ramble question, but I totally, yeah, I totally have the points like that I want to talk about. Okay. On it. So it was, it was good. Save me. Um, I think, uh, <laughs> I, the, the short answer for the last part of that question is I, I don't, I can't relate to those people very well. And I find myself like socially anxious and, in uh, like I'm a super social person. I'm in, in some ways you'd say I'm extroverted, but I think there's a lot of introverted aspects to me that have come because of what I do that if, if I'm, it's so much easier for me to talk to people that I can relate to. And if you're at a big party, even if it's a snowboard party and like, yeah, sure. Everyone's there. Everyone there is a snowboarder, but you know, a lot of them work in an office in the city Monday to Friday and they come up and they snowboard on weekends. Like you're not totally on the same wavelength. And, um, to me in, talking about that, um, the volleyball girl who you're talking about and maybe a lot of how many people in the world like stop that. That's just an idea. Heard, something yeah, else. I think it's sad. It's depressing. Cause I think as a human, I think, um, I think challenge, I think we strive for challenge. I think it's part of what makes us human and it makes us happy. I think, um, there's too many people in the world don't have enough, uh, challenge in there. And I don't mean like, you know, not having money, rough family. I just mean like struggle, like good, healthy struggle is, and like overcoming that is part of what makes it special to be a human. And I think in these, um, action sports that we chase, I think there's so much struggle and, you know, like they say, like anything worth doing is really hard. And these things that we do are really fucking hard. And I, yeah, I, I don't know. I feel bad for people that don't have that. Like I would encourage like anyone in the world anyone listening to this podcast, like do more of those things. Like if you, if you were super into soccer when you were a kid and it was so exciting, like ripping down the field with the ball and everyone's cheering for you. And, and then you just stopped and like, now you don't do that so much, but you still watch soccer on TV. Like it doesn't matter how old you are. Like there's probably a beer league in your city. Like go sign up, like go, go kick the ball around and go play some soccer. I just think that like the world would be a better place if more people did those things and didn't stop doing those things. I 100% agree. You wouldn't have like the Twitter warriors trying to, I don't know, all that yeah. stuff. You think like, you think, um, Kyle Lenny, you think Craig Anderson, you think Dan Reynolds, you think, and I, I, I'm just saying these names because these are professional servers that people know, but do you think, do you think you are sitting on Twitter or Facebook, like, waiting all day and refreshing so you can get into a comment battle with these people. It's like, no, like those, those <laughs> no. people, like you have better things to do. Like you want to go foil. You're waiting for yeah. your foil to arrive. So you can unbox that and go like, I'm hitting refresh then, on the Surfline cam all day long. <laughs> totally. I'm hitting refresh on the UPS tracking to see when that, that lift foil setup gets, you know, it's like, that's so awesome. I don't know. Like, I think just kind of like touch on that a bit. Um, again, I feel like super fortunate, like to be able to be doing those things, these things. Cause I know that not everyone can like, you know, like some of these sports are really expensive and not everyone can 
surf. Not everyone, definitely not everyone can snowboard, but like, I think just going and doing stuff that you use your body, that you move things that challenge your brain and your body and like gets you excited and gets you into those flow states. Like I think if more people could achieve this flow state that we're having this conversation about, I just think everyone would be happier. Like if, if Trump, man, if, <laughs> if, Trump, <laughs> if Trump went, got a huge stand up paddleboard and a foil and somebody taught him how to like boil wake surf behind a boat, I bet you that guy would not be on Twitter for a month. I bet you'd just be foiling. There would be, be foiling the whole time. Twitter updates. <laughs> I recorded with Dave Kalama a long time ago, and he that he that was his wish. His wish was that all the terrorists would start surfing, and the world is, would be a much better place. That is amazing. That is right. an amazing wish. If all the terrorists started foiling or surfing, nobody would want to kill anybody. Everybody would just be ordering foil gear. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I've uh, I've had this. Uh, the saying that went back to Park City. I was staying with a buddy in Park City this last year, and you know we were about to go go out on the mountain. I was like, Gary, it's just super cool to do awesome stuff, and <laughs> and so I was thinking about like I, the podcast isn't sponsored. I'm just doing this for fun, and and I was joking with my wife, and I was like, you know what, Sarah, I think I'm gonna have the podcast sponsored by Awesome Stuff. It's like that is hey, amazing. Hey guys, you know I just want to say that I got a new sponsor on the show. It's something that I have been. Uh, participating in using since i was a kid i've got my kids into it now uh it's awesome stuff <laughs> <laughs> that's so epic i feel so. like i've i've heard, heard one of my friends say something along those lines it's like <laughs> like oh like why <laughs> someone was saying something about like oh why do we it's so rad that we get into all these like parties and music festivals for for free and get vip like aren't we lucky that we get to do this and live this life and what one of my friends was like nah man it's because we do dope shit (laughs) (laughs) people appreciate it when you do dope shit (laughs) i just thought it was so funny but it's like yeah Yeah. it's true (laughs) it's true and i think that life has a way of rewarding like big commitment and 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 big um big uh what's the way to explain like like diving in head first i I think life likes it when you just dive in head first you know we we moved down to costa rica on a shoestring um, and it, everyone thought it was kind of nuts of us, but you know, life. And I also think that you operate better when you dive in head first. Yeah. Like, because you figure it out, you, right. you figure out what you have to figure out to make it happen. And, right. um, and you know, people say like, oh, you need a plan B though. And it's like, are you ever really going to fully commit and make plan A happen? If you're thinking about a plan B Nope. or if you dive in, you'll nope. make it happen. <laughs> like yeah. you'll do it. You have to. Yeah, that's yeah. that kind of brings me to an interesting thing is like i guess i guess we could transition into the foiling conversation with this too but like so for me with foiling lately and you know it's like my girlfriend my friends like my girlfriend's family who have a have a cabin at a little lake north of here and a little uh, boat and that's kind of what i've done like a lot of my behind the boat foiling like, like everyone is just like dude like, will you ever stop talking about it? And like, wow, you really like it. Right? Like, it's, I'm probably so annoying. Like, I'm already a chatty person. I already ramble a lot. I'm just trying to picture like my personality combined with this foil brain thing. Like, people are probably so annoyed with me. But I said to my girlfriend the other day, because she made a comment, I guess her brother, the last time we were at the lake was like, wow, like he really just only wants to foil. He doesn't shut up about it. And she kind of was poking fun at me about it. And I was like, you need, first of all, foiling is the best, but you need that personality to like master anything i feel yeah like anyone who gets good at anything it's because they obsess over it like that's 
you you kind of black out the time you're wasting and it doesn't become time wasted it becomes time doing something you love and time obsessing like that's how i got good at snowboarding like you just obsess over it yeah i'm sure that's how you got good at everything you do as well yeah i have been very grateful that i've had these outlets for you know the energy i have to do things i'm you know i'm i i worry that if i hadn't found uh, surfing, you know, when I was younger, I'm, I probably would have done some really dumb stuff. Yeah. You know, and I, totally. I think maybe there's almost like an addictive, you know, portion to this whole thing. I think I'm, I'm actually addicted to the, some of these states and, and the chemical compounds that come with them. And mm-hmm. I'm just glad that it's a very, very healthy addiction. That's great for my family. And, you know, it's been, been healthy along the way. Totally. There's a lot of worse addictions. Do you, like, it's, do you think maybe that is one of the reasons why it's so hard to explain why we do these things to people that don't really do it? Because you're, you're trying to like put it into words and be like, oh, like this is why I'm obsessed or this is why I do it. But really you're, what you're trying to do is you're trying to explain a, a, neuro, a neurological chemical reaction or a neurolo- neurological activity that we have no idea about why it's happening or what, what is happening. Yet here we are trying to explain it to someone like, Oh yeah, you know, I, I, I surf a lot because of this, or I foil a lot because of this. Like, we don't know what the hell we're saying. We're just, something's happening in there <laughs> that we don't yeah. get. Well, a hundred percent. And that's part of the reason that I wanted to do this show is because I think that flow is, is a, is, is th- these states are on the pyramid of states at the, at near or at the top for me anyways. Yeah. And yeah, me too, hundred percent. And I think a lot of folks don't realize that it's this state that they're chasing. And so a lot of folks put on other motives to what they're doing, but this is the real reward. Mm-hmm. Um, and so totally. I'm hoping that by exploring this and I'm going to you know, go through this, I'm going to sort out what we've talked about and try to, what I'd like to do is I'd like to have a list of about 10 to 15 talking points and I'd like to get 20, 30, 40 crazy good athletes, musicians, artists, whatever, uh, from, you know, all these different disciplines to go through this and hear it from their perspective. I mean, that's, that's the ultimate goal with this. And I just have to figure out how to articulate that in such a way that, that it relates, uh, to everyone. I mean, you've been amazing on this podcast, but you know, (laughs) it's been, you know, I've kind of stumbled through it a little bit. Yeah, thank, well, I, said, I, I uh, feel like I've stumbled through it as well and rambled a lot, but I think that is what makes this topic so cool is like we're kind of starting from something that doesn't really have a lot of understanding about it as it is and even from the people that feel it and do it a lot, like we don't really know how to articulate it. Um, something that just popped in my head while you were saying that, um, you know how you said like is mastery maybe a symptom of the flow rather than like a symptom of all the practice? Right. Kind of like, how like learning you could say like oh i'm continuing to do this because i really want to learn this trick like i'm i'm working on my air reverse or whatever surfing and i just really want to land an air reverse but it's like the only maybe the only reason you're like really trying to get that air reverse is because the journey to get there like all the flow you're feeling when you're trying it and almost landing it getting really close working out little kinks of what your body's doing wrong in the air that whole journey towards it is like so addicting because once you get it and you master that trick like it's kind of like oh yeah you like do it all the time but it's like not as exciting then you're like hey i want to learn something else yeah so that in itself to me it really is like some sort of proof that it's like 
It's about like the journey to those goals. It's not about the goals themselves. The journey right. is the experience and the journey is the flow state. And that's like really what we're seeking. Yep. That's a, you summed it up what I was trying to articulate there earlier, beautifully right there. Um, that's kind of the way that I look at it in my life. Cause it's, you're pushing it as, you know, I'm buying wings as fast as I can, you know, and trying to have all these, you know, I've got like five things I'm working on right now in the foreign world. And like uh, legitimizing in your head, like all of a sudden the money doesn't mean anything. You're buying these wings and you will be probably so quick to make an excuse of why that $1,200 was like not a big deal. You're like, oh, whatever. I spent $1,200. Like no big deal. Whatever. No big deal. <laughs> I've, I've been selling surfboards left and right, man. <laughs> nice. Um, oh, that's awesome. All right. So let's dive into foiling for a few minutes before we, uh, before we wrap up. Because I know a lot of folks will be stoked on that, man. H- how did you first get exposed? Infected. Okay. So... Um, so cause I've been, like I said earlier, cause I've been going to the Island of Kauai, uh, my whole life. I've got a lot of friends there and I was there for my 30th birthday last November for the whole month. And, um, one of my local friends there had, had just picked it up. He had the GoFoil, uh, Kai, I believe on, um, a little custom board that a friend made him on the Island. And he was like, yeah, this is like all I want to do now. Like all I want to do is foil. And I'm just like, oh yeah, like, uh-huh. It's kind of weird, kind of kooky, but whatever. And he finally convinced me to like try it in the surf. He didn't really tell me anything about it. I got pitched so bad on my first drop in, like popped up like he normally <laughs> would surfing on like, you know, a chest high weight, kind of like a, a wave that's like really good where all the kids try and learn airs on like a really punchy wave. And I just like airdropped to the flats and ate so much shit. And then he's, you know, kind of tried a few more times, fell a lot. He gave me a bit of tips, told me don't try and surf it. And like, this is where you put your weight. And there, after the first two or three tries, honestly, man, I was like, this sport is stupid. Like I, I was so ready to just hand the board back to him and just like call it like, oh yeah, the, I don't want to foil it. Like this is just dumb. And then all it took was I caught one wave, it was a tiny little wave and the wave dissipated and turned to a roller. And I took it for like the length of a football field, just went straight. And, and I was like. <laughs> Oh my God. What just happened? Like what? Yeah. what just happened? What is this? Like I just blacked out. How did that happen? And that's kind of all it took. And then, so for the rest of my Kauai trip last November, like the waves weren't the strongest, like the waves weren't amazing for surfing. Like there was a lot of weird wind and then it would get big, but it would be too windy. And just anyway, so I was just foiling on like little protected parts of the Island. And I probably got like eight or 10 foil sessions with him where I'd go out of my normal surfboard and then we'd switch off and I'd ride his foil. And, um, that was that I came home kind of think, thinking about it all winter, but also like pretty engulfed in my winter season, what I had to do. And then by the time springtime came around and snowboarding ended and I went through that phase where I was like, Oh, what am I going to do with my life now? That depressing phase that we were talking about. Yeah. I was like, Oh, well, I'm, I'm ordering a foil. Like, let's do this. And so, yeah. Ordered, ordered a lift setup uh, directly from Nick Leeson, the owner. I got right off the bat. I was like, I want the 250 surf wing because I feel like that would be big enough to pump. And I want a 170 surf wing and a 28-inch mast. Just ordered it all in one go. And, um, yeah, started making making weekend trips to Vancouver, Vancouver Island to foil more. And any chance I got uh, behind a friend's boat, um, all that. Dock starting. <laughs> that, that's insane. <laughs> Um, so you've been on lift the, the entire time, you know, we were talking earlier about some folks, uh, were, were saying that certain gear doesn't work for certain things. And you were saying that 250 is a great surf wing for you. 
Yeah, it's it's epic. Like, um, uh, the owner of Lyft is like a similar size as me, and he was like, "Yeah, I don't know, like that that wing's amazing, but I think it's definitely more for like bigger people." He's like, "I can't really like ride that wing the way I want to," and you know, he I'm he's obviously a really good foiler. I'm nowhere near what he is at probably, but when I've surfed it. And like when I surfed it behind the boat, I have like a wicked time on it. Like I find it turns really, really good. So yeah, I think just, I don't know, the sport is so new. I think nobody really knows exactly what the norm should be or exactly what works for everyone. Like I think that it's changing monthly. Yeah, and, uh, it really is. Yeah, it's wild. Like, and you know, all, my only experience of foils is I've tried, the one I learned on was the Go Foil, Go Foil Kai and then the lift setups I ordered. So like, I have no idea what pumping a high aspect wing feels like all I, like I have no idea how much easier it would be to dock start one. Like there's, I only know what I've been learning on. So maybe that's why the 250 has been working for me. It's just, you know, what I've adapted to. Yeah. You know, everyone compares foiling to riding powder. What do you think yeah. there's a real correlation there? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> to be honest, I think like, the only correlation for me is that it's frictionless and incredibly smooth. Right. Um, other than that, it's, it's pretty damn different. Like right. back foot, front foot. Powder, yeah, exactly. Riding powder is so back foot heavy and it's like the way you kind of like pop into your turns and everything is like so different. And yeah, I don't think it's like riding powder. I think it's, it's smooth and the sensation is like, is more like riding powder than surfing. Cause surfing you still have you, you feel the water there you know you feel the firmness of the water and you feel the friction of the water whereas riding powder i think the reason a lot of surfers like it so much is it gives you that frictionless feeling so i think that's why surfers are comparing foiling and riding powder but i think it's just its own freakish thing foiling <laughs> <laughs> it's like What's, alien were there any snowboard uh skills that you brought into foiling well actually let me let me approach this question a little bit different for you because i've been talking about variability and training on the show some and in the past year i've learned to snowboard and then learned to foil and i had a, some trips when i was a kid but but nothing real and it's been fun because it's almost like this skill mapping you know they're all sports that you do with your feet on a board i actually started skateboarding a lot this year too for the first time since i was probably 17 oh, and epic. yeah we had a little we got a little mini ramp at our place and um when we're up north and so my son and i have just been jamming on it a lot which has been really fun that's so cool but so like in learning these new sports it's been really interesting because it's like almost like mapping the feeling from you know say snowboarding or from surfing to snowboarding and then snowboarding and surfing to foiling and so once i figure out kind of how that maps together and i learn like the language of the new sport it's it's pretty easy then to explore it on a deeper level Is that yeah. at all yeah yeah totally because like you know it's your brain will naturally especially because you're standing sideways you're like oh this is a standing sideways sport i know what right. this should feel like so you're naturally going gonna try and take the things you know from those sideways standing sports when you learn foiling when you try foiling um i think the main thing that helped for me is like you know, surfing is very back foot and, you know, riding powder on a snowboard is back foot as well. But if you're just ripping around on a mountain, it's like, it's like front hip. Like you kind of turn with your front hip and you kind of like almost rudder your back foot if you're riding on hard path. And that is something that is very comparable to foiling because you don't, 
you don't turn a foil like you turn a surfboard. You kind of like lean a bit, but you're also ruddering your back foot more. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, and like now, you know, now I'm doing like more advanced turns where I'm like doing big leaning carves. But like when you, I first started turning my foil, I literally was just like level balanced and I would rudder my back foot just like a beginner snowboarder would going down a slushy slope trying to turn. Like you're literally just sliding your back foot around. You're not really carving. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I think there's, it's, there's definitely things that I, that like myself and other people who have tried foiling probably brought from surfing and or snowboarding. I think it would be easier to learn how to foil if you had an understanding of both of those sports. I think if you only surfed, it might be harder to learn how to foil because you'd be so tempted to just like be back foot dominant and use your shoulders a lot. Yeah. A lot of surfers get hurt right away on foils. I know I've, a number I've of them who've that. gotten stitches because yeah. your instinct is lean back in a sketchy situation and that's the exact wrong thing to do. Mm-hmm. And like the whole like eject don't correct thing, like your right. in- instinct is like if you're falling, if you're like falling like toe at, let's say you're goofy footer and you're falling on, or I guess it doesn't matter if you're falling toe edge, your instinct is to like put some weight on your heels to correct that. But if you do that on a foil, the foil is going to keep going the way it wants to go and you're going to fall off the board and you're going to land on your foil. <laughs> and so, right. That's like, that was a lesson that I learned pretty quick, but yeah, I feel like a lot of surfers, especially they'll, you almost have like a bit of a handicap going into foiling. If you're a really good surfer, cause you're going to try and macho man your way out of it. You're going to be like, I, this is, I can totally do this. Like I know what I'm going to do. And you're going to try and overpower the foil and take what you know from surfing directly into it. And that's just yep. not going to work. You got to treat it like it's like a whole new thing. Yeah. I went cold Turkey on surfing for a little while so that I wasn't confusing kind of the, the feel. So you and went just, like stop surfing and only foiled for a bit. Yeah. And you know, I probably said it because it was, it was about training, but it was probably more about just more access to what I was getting out of foiling. In right. Retrospect. Yeah. I yeah. lying to myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Did, did you ever get the, like, cause I, I totally have gotten this from friends and like even my girlfriend who's not super into surfing. She's like, are you ever going to surf anymore? Are you only going to foil when you go to the Island? Were people saying that to you? Like, like, dude, oh, yeah. you ever going to surf? Like if the waves are good enough to surf and you're like, nah, it's something to foil. I mean, if they're good enough to surf, think of how good they are for foiling, man. <laughs> right. <laughs> or if they're good enough to surf, it's probably going to be busy. So I'm just going to foil a hundred meters over there and ride it alone. How's that? Yeah, that works too. <laughs> no, I think that like, I, I don't think there's any substitute for getting barreled. I think no, getting, no, definitely getting not. barreled is, is still probably the ultimate, um, but the problem is, is that it's really hard to get barreled. It's really hard to find those setups and yeah. to get the swell and the wind. And I mean, at least there's, where I am right now, there's so, so many more factors that are out of your control that need to play yeah. into you getting barreled. And so many factors that are out of your control to, that need to play in for you to even be able to rip a wave on a surfboard. Whereas like, I don't know. I don't, it's who knows where foiling will go. Cause it's so new, but it's right now it's like foiling is not as rippable as a surfboard is like, you're not like smacking your fins out. You're not catching airs like it, but it's like, it doesn't matter the size of the wave. Like you can still do like a huge roundhouse turn. You can still go fast. And, I don't know. It's just yeah. like less limitations. That, that that's the, that's the best feeling there is, is the, are those turns. I love those on snowboards too. I love like, like, steep blue groomers where you can just lay it down like oh yeah rail to fresh rail corduroy oh. soft fresh corduroy fresh groomed oh man so fun that's almost as good as powder 
I love it. I love it. Like people were making fun of me because of how much I love like good groomers, but the carving on good groomers when you're <laughs> just like laying it out, it's just oh, like, it's love it. Yeah. It's epic. Yeah. Oh, and like, do you find, um, like with foiling, you, you like, you pick up more speed out of turns and like in surfing, if you do a big turn, you're kind of like, yeah, I guess if you do it properly, you're picking up speed, but I find you can do a pretty mellow turn on the, on the foil and you like accelerate out of your turn. <laughs> You actually do. You you actually do accelerate through turns on a foil. And in surfing, unless you're doing like kind of probably like um, down carves or down carves, probably the only turn that you're really accelerating out of because of the turn, wherein the rest of them you're accelerating just because you're utilizing your like kinetic energy at the top of a wave and then dropping back in, I would say. Um, or you're redirecting back into all that potential energy, like a big roundhouse wraparound, and then you're coming, you're finishing high. But no, like the whole accelerating through a turn on a foil is nuts. And like that was a huge uh, breakthrough in understanding for me when I was watching one of Kiahi's videos not too long ago. Yeah. And he's on this little, and I have the wing that he was on. He's the medium MP wing, which I love. It's a great wing. And he was on probably like a knee high wave, and he didn't have to pump because he just kept working the board through the pocket turning the whole time. What? And, and it, I'll send it to you. It's on his Dude, Instagram. I want to see that. It's nuts. And he didn't have to pump at all. And and then, so that was what I worked on for, I don't know, a couple of weeks after that. I was just like, go out, tow these little shoals at like knee high and just try to not pump as much as possible. Um, Do you crazy. think that the gear or the skill level will get to a point where instead of doing the like hoppy pump thing that everyone's doing right now to get back to the lineup, that you'll be able to come off a wave with enough speed where you can just arc like four or five big left to right turns to get to the next wave. Like, I wonder if that is the future. That would be nuts. Right? I don't know. I mean, like, it's possible. Like what the sky's the limit. This is so new. Yeah. How insane would that be? Yeah. Imagine that you just ripping a wave and then you come off it and, say it's front side you end the wave by just doing a big bottom turn off it and then you that generates so much speed that your heel side has more speed and then i don't know you just do that until you're back out of the lineup instead of like hopping i mean that's kind of how a carver works right carver skateboard totally that's what i was thinking about when i said that yeah Uh, a couple years ago when i was watching some foil stuff i had this idea of what if you had um like similar to how the carver works a a foil, like a big back foil on a board and then a smaller forward, a foil that you could use to generate speed going laterally side to side with. So it's the same situation as a carver just with foils. Um, Interesting. I don't know if it would work. Yeah, dude. I mean, take, show, show your 16 year old self a picture of what a foil looks like right now. And but you didn't think that would work either. Heck no. I keep thinking that I'm just super yeah, I, I I keep looking at foiling like this great reward for having done you know a life of of surfing and you get to do this. Yeah, totally. It's so and cool. it's like I I hear a lot of people saying too that um I don't I haven't been able to relate to this, but a lot of people have saying that they picked up foiling because of an injury because I guess it's lower impact too, right? Uh, it is. You know, I've got a bad back. I broke a pars vertebrae a long time ago. Part part of it was at that Whistler trip. I fell super hard and probably, um, fractured it there. Um, but the turning a foil. So when you turn a surfboard, it, there's a lot of torque 
that's involved with upper body. As you were saying before, you know, you're, this whole upper body hack that Twisting. you do. Twisting. Yeah. You're um, constantly like countering like. Yep. And foiling isn't that at all. Foiling is like banking. It's like carving right. a snowboard. You know, you're mm-hmm. like, the G's are in your legs, but there's no, you know, upper body torque rotation. So, yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. So, like, less less torque on the back and probably even less on the knees. Like, you're not having to, like, twist. Yeah, just twist your body as much. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense, man. Yeah, um, it's it's the best. I can't can't wait to <laughs> all this talk about it now. I'm, like, excited to get back to the island and do it. I actually just ordered... Um, well, I ordered it in June, but it was a custom, so it took a while. Um, a Freedom Four oil board. Oh, Chris. sick! Yeah, so I'm. It hasn't touched salt water yet, so I'm frothing to get this thing in the ocean. Oh man, I'm hoping he comes on the show. We talked about it a little bit. Um, he might be a little reticent because I design boards as well, but uh, <laughs> I don't know. Hopefully, yeah, he'll do it. It'd whatever. be cool. It's not like you're trying to steal his thunder. It's like he he would be such an inter- interesting person to listen to talk to because i feel like him and uh is it kt brand the ones that kyle yep, kt yep yeah so him and kt are kind of the only ones doing them that look exactly like that like super narrow pulled in tail and then like the catamaran concave thing and that's kind yeah. of like setting a standard and it seems like that's the newest thing that everyone's following yeah and i haven't ridden that catamaran concave i do something similar with some chines and i, I like v in the center uh, mm-hmm. but i haven't tested uh, that kind of catamaran thing. There's some, there's, you know, if there's still enough deep V in there, it still should work in that same way where it's like kind of bouncing. Um, which would be, right. which would be awesome. They look great though, man. You can't argue with the guys that are riding them and how they look. I also yeah, really perfect. like, um, like Adam Bennett's JS boards, like a little oh, bit yeah. longer, you know, like for playing in the, in the, um, whitewater a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. That's, so that's the thing I, that's another topic about foiling is and i'm pretty sure you've kind of covered this on the podcast as well but like everyone's like down this rabbit hole of going shorter and shorter and shorter with their boards but now i kind of feel like it's leveling out now the progression is catching up where people are like oh yeah you want to go short but you don't want to go too short because the board needs to still save you in sketchy maneuvers when you're trying to like hit the foam or maybe air and your foil breaches so you need like a little bit more board there to kind of like catch you and save you you can't be on like a three-foot nug absolutely So anyways, I ordered, like when I ordered mine in June, I wasn't, I was just like guessing what I needed. So I ordered a four, six at 37 liters and then like, yeah, but then like it got to a point where I was like, oh shit, like I'm getting good. I should have ordered a four, two. Like what was I thinking? And (laughs) now I'm kind of back to being like, okay, I made the right decision. Like that'll be a good size. (laughs) I've, I've tested a bunch of different sizes and my two new boards, I'm doing a run of boards right now and I've got two shapes coming out and, um, they're going to be four six and four nine are the two. The four six is more for like pumping around smaller days, and then that one's called the vanish. And then the uh, the flight deck is like a uh, four nine that's for bigger surf, a little bit more volume. It's like ten liters bigger, twenty seven and thirty six on those two. Right. Um, but yeah, that four six at thirty six thirty seven is going to be insane. And those guys, like so many people, love those freedom boards. I'm sure they're nuts. Yeah, totally. I'm curious to see because like I'll be surfing it in two completely different scenarios. One is wearing like 20 pounds of neoprene and then I'm also going to bring yep. it to Kauai this fall. And yeah, uh, I'm curious to see if it's too much volume or if it's right. But either way, I'm sure I'm going to love it. Right. <laughs> the the other cool ones to check out is Kane's designing boards with Flying Dutchman. 
And oh, I know no they're going to, yeah, they're going to have some six shakes coming out too, which would be, which would be neat to check out. I was talking to Kane about that the other day. Rad. So, um, well, man, this has been an insane, fun conversation. I'm going to have to go and meditate on it a little bit. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> I, uh, I really enjoyed it, man. I feel like we could, we could, I could talk for another few hours, but I feel like at a certain point, we're probably just going to be rambling more. So, um, what we Let's should do, do is go, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. <laughs> I was going to say, we sh- I should let you, uh, just keep, keep going with the series and then we should do another one in the future. Uh, that's what I was going to say too. Like, you know, this one is super raw and awesome and it's going to, it's going to be one that I think back on it very fondly. Um, but, but through this, we'll start to underst- understand how this conversation can happen in a more cohesive way. Yeah, totally. And, and I'm excited and, to hear uh, what some of your other guests have to say about it. All right. Well, Chris, thanks for, uh, for being on the show, man. I appreciate it. Any, Oh, any last words? How do people find you? All that good stuff. Um, you can, uh, probably, I guess Instagram is the main thing right now. So you can, uh, follow me, um, just at Chris Rasman on Instagram and, uh, my production company is at the man boys. So that's like me and my crew of friends. So if anyone listening is interested to see uh, what I do and what I'm all about, uh, yeah, that's how you find me. Uh, it's Chris R A S M A N. Yep. If, uh, man. Yep. yep. All right, brother. Thank you for, for doing this with me. I appreciate it. Thank you.